0: Hello, survivalists, and welcome to The Crux True Survival Stories. I'm your host, Casey McIntosh, joined by
1: Julie Henningsen,
0: and today we're going to be talking about a recommendation that actually came from a listener, Rebecca. I'm going to be telling you the story of Brandon Day and Gina Allen, a new young in love couple spending some time in California, the location of a work conference, Palm Springs. Brandon is attending this work conference. He invited Gina to come with him. They're newly dating. Brandon and Gina decide to go on a light hike one day after the conference. And they set off with light clothing and no cell phones or amenities. And they're planning on a short outing. They're not expecting to be gone long. They are planning on being back by the evening. And if only they knew what was in store for them, they would have planned better. A small walk would lead to getting lost in the wilderness for four days and an unexpected find will keep them alive. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: Sounds intriguing. The unexpected find. I can't wait to hear what that is.
0: Brandon and Gina wanted to have some time together. Keep in mind, too, that Brandon's doing this conference during the day. And Gina is just hanging out by the pool, not doing a whole lot. So I'm sure that when he had some time to spend with her, they wanted to go out and do something a touristy that doesn't require a lot of time or effort, see some sites, do something low maintenance. And they decide to go to Mount Jacinto with a tour group. And that begins with a bus ride. They took a cable car to a mountain station. And Although it's very warm in Palm Springs, the summit can be cold and dusted with snow, especially in the spring. Right, The altitude is 10,834 feet.
1: I think that's a popular cable car ride in Palm Springs. You can see it from the town right on the mountainside. I rode it when I was a kid and remember it.
0: Oh, that's cool. I think that there's a lot of areas to hike, but primarily people go up by cable car. The altitude of this mountain is 10,834 feet. Mount San Jacinto is in the San Jacinto Mountains in Riverside Country, California. So I found this interesting, Julie. This mountain, it's North Face. It climbs over 10,000 feet in seven miles. It's one of the greatest gains in elevation in such a small horizontal distance in the entire USA.
1: Yeah, wow, that is steep. You said 10,000 feet in seven miles. That's well over a 1,000 a mile. That's a steep mountain.
0: Again, the mountain is easily accessible by cable car, but there's also some hiking that you can do. This tramway though starts at the valley station at 2,643 feet, which again is near Palm Springs. And the mountain station is at 8,516 feet. The average high temperature in May is a 55 degree high on the peak and a 24 degree low. So it definitely can get below the freezing point. I'm sure that that is not intuitive, just considering how hot it is in Palm Springs, which the high temperature in Palm Springs in May is 95 degree high with a 64 degree low. I think sometimes that is a problem because you have this mindset of thinking, Oh, it's going to be warmer than it actually is.
1: Yeah, I definitely think of Palm Springs and that whole valley as just being really hot. It's not the kind of environment you think about even bringing a sweater on when you're exercising. But that elevation gain cools it down pretty quick, it sounds like.
0: Right. The couple get on the cable car. They ride up to the top. They're just walking around up there, throwing snow at each other, being playful. And then they hear the sound, this trickling sound of a waterfall, which makes them curious and they think, oh gosh, it would be really great and idyllic to go by this waterfall. They didn't have a lot of experience in the wilderness. They're from Texas and they're city dwelling people. They didn't really understand that sometimes sounds seem closer than they are, but they're actually, these sounds can be bouncing against canyon walls, making it sound like something is in a different location than it actually is. So they start following the sound, but that was what they determined is that the sound and the waterfall were not coming from the same space. So it took them quite a while to figure out where this water sound was coming from. They eventually did find the waterfall, but it ended up being super unimpressive, like this little trickle of water coming down. And they were a little bit disappointed, like, oh, we walked all this way for this little trickle of a stream And they just decided to hang out there for a while. They took some photos and they were just chilling on a rock. And then finally they decided, okay, it's time to get back. They have 20 minutes to get back up to this mountain station to meet with the rest of the tour group, to get back on the cable car, to get on the bus on time, blah, blah, blah. So they decide, okay, now it's time to go. They start heading in the direction that they came from and they think that they're retracing their steps and they can't figure out where they originated. Nothing looks familiar. They know that they're going generally in the right direction, but they're just kind of retracing and retracing steps. like, is this the right way? Is that the right way? So the same thing that was happening with the waterfall sound starts happening with human voices. They hear voices. They don't know where they're coming from. They're like walking toward the voices and then they get to that point and then they don't hear anything. So I can't imagine how frustrating that would be.
1: Yeah. It sounds so disorienting. It sounds echoing off the canyon walls. That would really, I'm sure, add to your feeling of disorientation and being lost.
0: Yeah. You mean, um, disorientated.
1: So disorientating.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, Toby and I, my husband and I were just talking about this because a good friend of mine, Nate, shout out to Nate Drendel, uh, he he said to me the other day that he was disorientated and you know, working in medicine when people would come into the urgent care and tell me that, I always had to roll my eyes and laugh a little bit.
1: Did you tell him disorientated is not a word?
0: I did not, but I just kind of laughed in my head and then I talked to Toby about it and we laughed about it. And then we were <laughs> talking about how it's gonna end up in the dictionary someday and I'm gonna be really irritated. But anyway, they were disorientated. They didn't know where they were. And, um, yeah, I think that that would be very eerie too. There's just something like eerie and, um, obviously very frustrating about walking somewhere where you think you're just so close. The only thing that I can really relate to in terms of this is the ski hill that I ski at, it's very foggy, right? And so you might think that you're in a location where you're not, and it really messes with your senses.
1: Yeah. You guys get a lot of fog up there on that mountain.
0: Yeah. And you might think, you know, where you are, and then you come out of the fog and you realize that you're completely wrong about it, which is a very bizarre feeling.
1: Yeah. Especially if you don't have a sense that you're disorientated, you just suddenly realize (laughs) you are.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay. After a while, they were not able to hear these voices any longer. And during this time, they were walking around attempting to find where they were coming from, of course, and still nothing's looking familiar. They know they're so close, but yet they're so far away. And by now, the tour party is descending down by a cable car. The couple finally accept that not only did they miss their group, but they're completely lost.
1: And I wonder if the group missed them. If it was like a paid tour, you'd think the tour guide would do a head count or think to send out a search or something before they just head down.
0: Right. Yeah. I would think so too. And maybe it was sort of implied, maybe they do that at the bus and maybe not at the top. And I kind of wonder if this incident changed the way that they were keeping track of the tourists, you know?
1: Yeah, could be.
0: Brandon says something along the lines of, you can stay here, but I'm not sitting around to Gina, which I thought was a great thing to say to your new girlfriend when you're lost in the woods. (laughs) right?
1: Yeah, that's really gonna go over well. That's really gonna cement the new relationship that's budding. (laughs) I know it's variable, but I think probably the more uh, helpful thing to do in a situation like that is to stay put. True. That's open for debate, I guess.
0: The thing that I was thinking about was that they weren't calling out to these voices when they could hear them, which maybe these other people wouldn't have been able to hear them anyway. But I thought that was interesting. Maybe they hadn't accepted the fact that they were lost at that point. They just thought, we can hear voices; It must be right around that corner. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, they probably had a maybe false uh, sense of reassurance that they could hear voices. Like, okay, this will be over momentarily. Right.
0: They start yelling for help at the point at which they realize they're lost, which now it's a little bit too late. So... They're at altitude, it's getting late, the temperatures are dropping, they don't have appropriate clothing for the weather. They're wearing light hiking clothes and light sweatshirts. And again, they had intended just to be up there for a short period of time, ride up the cable car, walk around for a little while, take some pictures and go back to the station. Brandon was feeling responsible. I think this was his idea. And Gina was crying, and eventually she said, hey, look, it's not your fault. We decided to do this together, and we'll get out of it together. They're sitting there shivering, 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 and they finally realize, hey, we saw a cave somewhere along the lines not too far away from where we are right now. So they decide to go back in the dark to find the cave, which they don't have flashlights or anything like that, and they start thinking about all the warnings that the tour guide gave them before they got to the station. Like there's lots of rattlesnakes and mountain lions in these mountains. (laughs) So they get to the cave and Brandon decided to use the camera to photograph the inside of the cave, just to make sure that there was no creatures, no, you know, meat eating creatures that were inside the cave before they decided to climb in there.
1: That's a good idea. If they have a little flash on the camera, I could see that being helpful.
0: Right. Yeah. So luckily there was not an animal in there because I was thinking if there was something in the cave, now that you take a picture of it, it's coming out of the cave, right?
1: Yeah. Good point. Yeah. You might love to regret that flash.
0: Exactly. So in some ways you might as well just go blindly into it. I don't know, but they were still super cold in the cave. It wasn't much warmer. I'm sure it helped a little bit, but it's just, it's really cold. And they're in the cave. They're shivering. They look at Brandon's watch. It's still only 11 p.m. They still have the remainder of the night to go, which I would imagine would be so exhausting, just shivering like that all night long. They also had no water or food, by the way, or anything else that would be useful in this situation. In the morning when they get up, Gina's first thoughts were related to the fact that this is a new relationship and she's feeling stressed out about like, Hey, I didn't brush my teeth and you're seeing me in my worst possible condition.
1: I'm sure those thoughts didn't last very much longer after that. That is funny though.
0: Yeah. It's just like, I can imagine, you know, the stress of a brand new relationship and then you put it under these types of the circumstance.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'll be interested to hear when you're done with the tale, what happened with their relationship.
0: I actually don't know the answer to that question but a quick Google search could help. I think
1: this is a real make or break relationship story. So could go either way
0: for sure. So as Gina is thinking about the way that she's not having clean hair and her breath smells bad, as Gina is thinking about these more unimportant details, Brandon is trying to think more logically about the bus. You know, surely someone has noticed that they weren't on the bus. And then he was thinking about some of these people that he was going to the conference with. Certainly, they would have noticed that Brennan and Gina were not at dinner. But these things were not noticeable or startling enough for anyone involved to actually think that maybe they were lost. And so there's no search party out for them at this point. They also had not alerted anyone to where they were going before they left. So no one even knew to look for them. And... Um, I thought that was interesting because I I was just thinking, Julie, if we went to a conference together, I would imagine that you would notice it if I didn't show up for dinner.
1: That's so funny because I was just thinking the same thing. If we went to a work conference together, I was actually thinking if one of us didn't show up for dinner, I think the other one would think, oh, okay, they're just out having a good time or they must have, you know, I don't know. I think there's a lot of conference dinners that people bow out of for even small reasons. And probably wouldn't, wouldn't get too worried.
0: Yeah. For obvious reasons, you would not go to a conference dinner.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I give you a whole pass on that. Casey forewarning, I'm not going to call a search party next time we're at a conference and you don't come to dinner.
0: Okay. I think the biggest thing is having that communication. Like I'm not coming to dinner. I'm going to the bar instead. And you're coming with me. That might be more effective.
1: Exactly. That'll be the plan.
0: Okay. Sounds good. The other thing is, so this couple, their families are not expecting them back for two days. So no one's going to know that they're gone. It's just not looking good.
1: Yeah, that's a disheartening feeling, I'm sure.
0: Brandon and Gina decide to climb further up the mountain, thinking that they need to get higher to get to the mountain station. And this is something that's come up before. It's not a good idea to go up when you are stuck on a mountain. A lot of people go up for cell phone signals or whatever, but again, you just increase your risk for injury and all sorts of other things. So they get up higher and they determine that they're now on another aspect of the mountain entirely. They've just gotten themselves more lost. From this perspective, they can see a mountain stream and they decide we'll follow the stream to walk out, which is sometimes not a bad idea, but unfortunately the distance between where they were standing and where the stream was, Everything in between was about the worst obstacle imaginable. It was incredibly steep, all this rock fall everywhere. There was no direct path to get to the water. So they decided to slide on their butts. I'm picturing like a scree field with some larger rocks. Um, A couple times, some boulders started going down the hill. And at one point, one almost, that Gina displaced, almost hit Brandon's head, missed it by like a foot. And that obviously would have been the end for him, I would think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that could have ended the story right there, at least for him. Yeah, I'm just picturing him, you know, taking all these risks. And probably they were thirsty too, so there was a couple of draws to a stream, but it does sound treacherous. I'm still with Gina on the the argument to stay put.
0: Yeah. So here they find themselves, they're midway down this, rock field and they really have no choice at that point. They just have to continue to go forward because they can't really climb back up. You know, you find yourself in that position where you just have to continue. And that's where they were. They finally make it to the bottom into the stream. And it's the end of the day. It's like four or 5 PM. This is the first water that they've had in 24 hours. So they were obviously really grateful. I'm sure to get a drink of water at that point. The stream was a little bit annoying to follow because it was really wide and then really narrow and really wide and really narrow. And they were kind of crossing the stream over rocks and whatnot. And at some point Gina crosses a log and then Brandon's behind her and the log breaks into the water and suddenly he's knee high in a stream, which normally would be fine, except for you have to realize right in a few hours, it's going to be cold and you're going to be partially wet.
1: And yeah, if he's knee high, then his shoes are wet and those are, I'm sure, not gonna dry anytime soon. Getting ready for a long cold night with wet, cold feet.
0: Right, that stuff takes forever to dry out, even in the best of circumstances. Gina ended up sitting on Brandon's feet that night to keep him warm. She was trying to help maintain his body temperature. So the next day arrives, it's Monday morning, They are hopeful that they were going to get themselves out of this situation that they had gotten themselves into. They hadn't seen anybody or anything that would indicate human activity up until this point. And they sort of accepted that a search is not going to come and it's probably not even been initiated yet at this point, which made me think about that story that we just told about the pilots that were like, we will get ourselves out of this ocean situation (laughs) swim 25 miles across the ocean.
1: Yeah, that takes some real uh, determination when you know your only hope is in your own hands to make that choice to just fight till the end. Right. That'll save your life.
0: Well, honestly, I think you almost have to go into every situation, just choosing before you end up in a stressful event that you're going to be doing whatever it takes to get out of it. Because once you start having obstacles, it's easy to give in. And just fail and quit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to give up, give into the mental stress of it. Just thinking, you know, one minute at a time versus one day at a time. Yeah. And being your own advocate. It's the theme in all these survival stories we hear.
0: Well, also, I think it's really helpful to support the other person that you're with. Try not to focus on your individual needs, but maybe the needs of someone else, their emotional needs that might actually improve your chances of survival back in Palm Springs, the hotel booking system automatically checks them out, but no one had cleaned their rooms and no one noticed that they were missing. Oh no. Yeah. All these things that you would think are feel safes are falling apart.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: As they continue, they're also very mindful of the fact that they cannot get injured because that could be a make it or break it kind of situation. They're pushing on, pushing on, pushing on, trying to keep up a good attitude Gina's doing a lot of praying, and all of a sudden they see some signs of life. They see a tent oh. or like a makeshift oh. tent up in the distance, and they think, we've been saved. Maybe we found a person, and maybe they'll be able to help us. But they get up to the tent, and immediately they sense something is very wrong. They find a pair of tennis shoes.
1: Is this where they find the unexpected thing that helps them that you mentioned maybe before? so.
0: Maybe yes.
1: I'm on the edge of my seat, a pair of tennis shoes. That sounds a uh, little unusual.
0: Right. There's some glasses, a few other items, but some of them are covered with dirt. So they have this ominous feeling. They understand that this is something that has been deserted. It's a deserted camp. What first looked like a way out is now just looking more depressing and more ominous. They find a backpack. And inside they find some maps with writing. What's really creepy is that the writing on the map was the same day a year before. How? It said, May 8th, 2005. So it's May 8th, 2006, this point in our story, took a fall, two weak to climb out of the canyon, down is gorge, no way out. Then he writes, oh. May 11th, 60 today. His birthday down to last two crackers. Then the next entry says May 14th, heading down to creek to water. Goodbye and love to all. They're able to find his identification, driver's license, etc. They determined that the campsite was John Donovan's, who's a six year old retired social worker from Virginia. And Gina finds a prayer card with saint christopher prayer on it and apparently saint christopher is the patron saint of travelers and yeah said it was really creepy because or not creepy isn't the right word but just ironic because the whole time that they were hiking along and she was praying she was praying to saint christopher
1: oh wow before she found that
0: card in his wallet
1: that is wild so they're thinking, and, and I'm thinking, because I don't know, that this guy's stuff has not been found for a year. Nobody's right. discovered this in a year, which must you know, be really um, heartbreaking for them to realize how little human activity is um, going on where they're lost.
0: I think the other thing that's concerning here at this point for them is that he writes about a gorge and that there's no way out in his channeling and his maps so and what they see in his with his stuff it seems like he was prepared or at least more prepared than they were and so they're thinking oh if he can't make it out what's the likelihood that we'll be able to there were some good finds in his bag there were some socks so that was great for brandon there was a sweater that gina could wear gina starts gathering all of his stuff because she's thinking if this person has family she wants to be able to bring it back in the event that they can ever get out of there and at that point the emotions are really high Gina is prompted by John's birth date which is similar to her father's birth date or maybe the same and the handwriting Mm. reminds her of her dad and I think she's just all of a sudden overcome with this emotion thinking about her father also they're really upset because they feel like this is a marker of impending doom
1: understandably
0: so Brandon has to calm Gina down and he was starting to get worried because she was spiraling so much at that point eventually they're able to find this gorge that John was talking about and realize truly there's no way out of there from where they are they can't go up they can't go down they thought John couldn't get out of here with maps how are we going to get out of here
1: but I guess one question I have is do they know he didn't get out at this point because maybe I would think that I might think, okay, his stuff is here because he got out. So, I mean, there's that's an unknown. I think
0: partly just having seeing his shoes there, seeing his driver's license. I mean, not to say that those are things you have to bring out with you. I think there was just enough evidence that probably he didn't make it. The other thing, too, is that Brandon went down to get some water from a stream and he noticed something that he wouldn't go look at, which was essentially John's remains.
1: okay. Yeah. That's what I wondered. Got it. Yeah.
0: He just couldn't handle it at that moment emotionally to actually go over and look at what was there. Of course, after a year, there's not going to be a whole lot left aside from a skeleton and whatever he was wearing. But um, yeah, that had to be a very low, low point.
1: Yeah. Very low, low. That's devastating at that moment.
0: Right. And it's interesting too, because at this point, Brandon and Gina are not really feeling like a team. They're self-isolating from one another, which I thought was really interesting. I suppose if you're thinking, well, there's no hope left, maybe you don't really feel like being close to someone. I'm not really sure about that. But in this moment of despair, they're looking through John's bag and there's a little bag within a little bag within a little bag on the inside of it is a pack of matches, Oh, which was, which turns out to be their lifeline. And the matches are still dry.
1: Amazing.
0: Right? I know it's crazy. Gina noticed the sound of a helicopter at that point, they were jumping and waving their arms around, but like so many other stories that have been told by us and many others, they were not seen, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's a takeaway from a lot of these stories is, uh, even if the helicopter is right there, it's unlikely that you're going to be spotted. Don't, don't, uh, hold out too much hope for the chopper.
0: Really? It makes me think that all of us should just be wearing hunter gear, bright orange clothing when we go out or at least have something that's bright colored.
1: Yeah. Not a bad idea, but it's fun. It's noticeable. It serves a good uh, logistical purpose. I'm on board with you there.
0: At this point, Gina started to lose faith and hope and started letting go and accepting the fact that, Hey, I'm not going to probably make it out of this situation. And it's okay. That week she'd spoken to her family and her best friend, and she decided it's okay if I don't come home. Like it's, it's going to be fine. On day four, Tuesday morning, They felt the worst that they'd ever felt from the very beginning, which is not surprising. Even though they have access to water, they're likely dehydrated. They haven't eaten anything. They haven't been really sleeping at night. They've been exerting tons of energy during the day. It's all culminating at this point. Day four is actually when Brandon found John Donovan's remains. But anyway, I think this actually spurred him on a little bit because he felt like this is my last shot and I really have nothing to lose. He decided he's going to take the matches and start a fire, like a big fire, essentially a smoke signal. So he starts like an acre on fire, and within 60 seconds, the whole thing is raging. All of a sudden, there's this huge smoke plume, and Gina didn't know where he was. He just decided to do this all on his own, and she's like, get up here. At first, she didn't see him. She just saw a fire, but he's able to get into a safe location, And they're thinking, surely it's a clear day. There's this giant amount of smoke going into the air. Someone is going to come for us. And they sit there for about 45 minutes and they're watching and listening and they don't hear anything. And eventually it just, the fire burned itself out, which must mean that it's, it's also May. So keep in mind that it's earlier in the year. If it was August, the whole forest would have burnt down and they probably would have died in a forest fire. That's what I was thinking initially when I was reading this, like, I guess at that point, have nothing to lose so they wait and they wait and they wait they're feeling really like if this is not going to get someone out here nothing will but all of a sudden they hear a helicopter coming from the valley floor and they're elated and overjoyed and they were spotted thankfully
1: so they were spotted because of the fire do you think or because they were waving when the first helicopter went by
0: I think that probably that smoke that was going up alerted someone, Probably, especially since it's a pretty active area in terms of tourists and whatnot. I'm sure that someone saw the smoke and made a phone call.
1: That's great. I'm so glad they were spotted.
0: Right. And so really all it comes down to is that they had these matches. It's essentially a get-out-of-jail-free card if they wouldn't have had that.
1: And really, if it weren't for John, they wouldn't have had that. So that's part of the you know, legacy, if you want to think of it like that, that he left, that's pretty amazing.
0: Right. It's so cool. They were really grateful for John Donovan. He saved their lives. You know, Brandon said certain people have a way of leaving their mark. And also he said with tragedy comes rebirth. We have a real special thanks for that person. John Donovan's remains were recovered three weeks later. The couple later discovered that John was hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, which is 2,650 miles, leading from Southern California to the Canadian border. He vanished during a cold weather incident in May of 2005 when a blizzard dumped eight inches of snow on the mountain. And he had a cardiovascular condition, so obviously he has reduced exercise tolerance. He was also 60. According to an article in Backpacker Magazine, he had experience hiking, but he wasn't a very good navigator, and he had strayed from the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, This article in Backpacker Magazine said that he hadn't had a compass or any helpful maps, and that he was traveling ultra-light considering the distance he was traveling. He had a tarp instead of a tent. He didn't bring gloves. He was wearing socks on his hands. He went into the storm when he shouldn't have been out. Um, Apparently, he was a stubborn and headstrong guy. He kind of made his own path in life, and he apparently liked his swear words, and he laughed at times where other people were like, why are you laughing right now at this? He danced to the beat of his own drum.
1: Yeah, he danced to the beat of his own drum, which I think is probably a common personality type for somebody that's drawn to things like hiking the entire Pacific Crest Trail. You know, that probably fed his uh, activities a little bit.
0: Right. And he was single all his life. He always worked as a social worker, but he lived really frugally at like $300 a month. And some of these places that he lived were not exactly what most people would consider livable. Like one of the places he lived was the savings bank that had been in a fire and there was no heat in the building. He never had a computer or a car. He never had a phone. He got everywhere by walking. And sadly, he was an orphan. He spent a lot of time during childhood being lonely. And he one time told a friend that his greatest fear was dying alone, which is so sad.
1: Oh, yeah, that's really sad. That gets me.
0: As a social worker and a member of his community, John always made it his priority to be helping other people. And I will put the article from Backpacker magazine in the show notes, if you guys are interested in reading it, it was really nice shout out to John. But how perfect was it that he was able to save someone's life even
1: after death? Yeah, in his final act on this earth, a person that prioritized helping others saved two people's lives just by being I himself. I just love...
0: Yeah, I just love the idea of something coming around when you're not even planning on it that could help someone. But when... Just thinking about the journal entries on the same date the year later, too, is, it almost made me think of Into the Wild when you're reading Alexander Supertramp's last words, just that, I I don't know, it's just this eerie, I don't know, eerie nostalgic.
1: Yeah, so eerie that it was a year to the day. I mean, that just makes you feel like, gosh, what kind of forces are at play here what kind of vortex were they traveling over what was the the mystery and the magic that was happening there in that place and time
0: well i know and sometimes these kind of scenarios and stories make you think that maybe there is some rhyme or reason in all of it but then other stories would not suggest that but it's cool it's cool when the stars align like this to sum all of this up, I would just like to briefly discuss some information about hikers that are just going out for a few hours that are not prepared because all of us have found ourselves going out for, you know, a quick quote unquote walk in the woods, you know, when you're not planning on being out there for a long time. I came up on this article from National Geographic and it turns out that day hikers that are the most vulnerable. There was a bunch of research completed recently that indicated that wandering off the trail is the number one reason that people require rescue over injury or bad weather. There are over 100 news reports that were analyzed over a 24-year period that identified the ways most common ways that people get lost in North America when hiking, and this is national parks and wilderness areas. They looked at what was basically the defining point between the people that survived and the ones that didn't. A lot of times going off the trail, people will go off because they want to look at a feature like a waterfall in this instance, or some flowers, or to take a picture. And trail junctions are often when you have to make a decision about what direction to go, that can definitely be misleading. Also, social trails, which are essentially trails that might go to an overlook or something like that. Research suggests that the hikers who are going into the deep wilderness are not usually the ones that get lost. It's usually, again, the day hikers. And I think this is just related to the fact that when we go out for a short period of time, we're not bringing things that we would need. We're not really preparing for some type of adversity. From the year 2004 to 2014, day hikers were 42% of 46,607 search and rescue cases to 13% for people that were backpacking.
1: Wow, that's a quite a bit... Uh... That's quite a higher number, 42%.
0: Right. The recommendation is to bring a puffy jacket. They pack small. The other thing is a 55-gallon trash bag because it helps protect you from rain and can be a shelter. Duct tape is another good thing to have. And then a lighter because it's small. And then sometimes I think a small first aid kit or a headlamp I think could be really useful too. But the hypothermia, I think, is the biggest risk, and I thought this was really interesting. New Mexico is one of the leading states for hypothermic deaths.
1: Hmm. You wouldn't guess that, which is probably why it's true, because you wouldn't prepare for that or expect it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I think we don't really want to carry more than we have to, but at the same time, just having a little bag with a couple essential things. And the other thing too is if you have kids that you're traveling with, they should have all of these things in their bags too. Because if you get separated from them, then they don't have anything. I've said a million, this a million times, and I'll probably say it a million more times to you guys, but you have to tell someone where you're going, you know, and when you plan on being back. If you're hiking, at least text someone and just say, hey, heads up, I'm going to text you when I get back. And if you don't hear from me, then, you know, at least try to call me or something.
1: Yeah. Such an easy thing to do. Such a simple habit to form. If you haven't already, that saves so many lives.
0: Totally. So that sums it up for this story. Should we Google real quick? What happened to their relationship?
1: I'm curious.
0: Okay. Let's see.
1: What was his name? Gina and
0: Gina Allen and Brandon day.
1: You're probably like married with kids. If you can survive that, you can survive anything.
0: Yeah, aside from the fact that he was like, You can just stay here. Uh I'm that's true. Going.
1: That's that's possibly a red flag. I would say so. Oh, they came their names came right up when I Oh, they were young too, just twenty four and twenty eight years old.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of these things that it happened long enough ago that
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not seeing. Oh, this is interesting.
0: So I just found an article that said getting lost while hiking in the San Jacinto Mountains is not a rare occurrence. Rescue crews are called out to search for lost hikers about once a month during the summer. Oh, that's frequent. Yeah, this is according to a state park superintendent. Yeah, I don't know. I guess Brandon... and gina allen if you're out there in the world and you want to make a comment about what happened to your relationship we're all very curious
1: we hope we hope the best for you
0: we hope the best for you this was either a make it or a break it situation but i don't judge it either way
1: (laughs) yeah ditto all right
0: well i hope you guys have a wonderful week thank you so much for tuning in to the correct true survival stories again if you have any specific stories of interest you want us to cover Email us at thecruxsurvival@gmail.com, at gmail.com or you can always find us on Instagram, The Crux Podcast. And thanks for listening. We appreciate all of your support and have a great week. Bye, Julie.
1: Bye, Casey.